Episode 40 of Gaming NBS, sponsored by DarkTheater.net, home of the Character Folio. Welcome to Gaming NBS. We are a podcast for tabletop gaming, specifically to RPGs, where we talk about those and other miscellaneous topics of geekery. I am one of your co-hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome back, folks. Hopefully that meets some people, some listeners. Um, high standards. High standards of introductions. We actually had to do the intro, I think, four times before <laughs> we got that one right. It was terrible. <clears throat> that was terrible. That's one for the blooper reel. Oh, well, what are you going to do? Yeah, what are you going to do, Roger? Huh? Roger, looking at you, buddy. <laughs> All right. Uh, announcements. Brett, I'll let you take the announcements. Yeah, we've got um, a couple different pieces here. Sean said that the uh, in our nor- unnormally smooth intro today, um, darktheater.net. This is um, the iPad application um, effort that my buddies Lenny Alpha, <clears throat> excuse me, and I have. We started this a couple years ago, and um, go out to iTunes. I've got the uh, links out there for the applications that we've made. Right now, they're iPad only. We haven't been able to cross the streams and head over to Android just yet. The Character Folio 2 is the big one that we've got now. We updated our original Character Folio, did a lot of application cleanup work, updated some of the feature sets, made it 100% up-to-date on the latest versions of iOS and all that stuff. We've dropped the price on it. We're down at $2.99 for that sucker. Um, it's got your uh, Pathfinder, the uh, 3.75 character uh, character sheets in it. And it also has um, Savage Worlds. We also were able to get um, um, the the Cthulhu version from our Realms of Cthulhu, excuse me, from uh, from uh, Reality Blurs. And we also have Shintar. We are the uh, the iPad app for uh, Sean Patrick Fan and Shintar um, Savage World character sheets as well. What we do with our character sheets is we don't have a ton of math involved in it. Um, we built this as a character sheet that we like to use and from talking to different people that we've worked with they really have enjoyed it one the price point you know it's it's down there where it's easily accessible if you like it, you can go out throw a few bucks at it and grab it quick and the other piece is you can add change delete you know all the different components that you want it's very easy to customize things and all that stuff so check out our link out there if you would also if you happen to be into uh, warhammer fantasy battles we have um, warhammer fantasy we've got our army folio we dropped the price on that as well down to $1.99 so for two bucks you can get a hold of that dump in your dwarves your orcs your uh high elves whatever get those suckers in there and uh you know run your warhammer army directly out of there it's a pretty cool piece when i do get together with the guys that i'm going to play uh warhammer fantasy that's the app we uh we pull out we've uh, battle tested it <laughs> and it works quite well so links are out there I'd appreciate folks taking a look. All right. I think that's what I've got, Sean. Do you want to? Oh, wait, I've got another one, a whole new announcement. Yeah, we're giving, Brett, <clears throat> Brett, we're, we're, we're giving out a little leash to Brett this week. Oh, thank you. Ooh, yay, I'm on my own. <laughs> it's, like, it's too crazy. <clears throat> the other one, uh, I talked about it last episode. Now I want to throw it out again. The Misdirected Mark Boys are uh, brothers from another podcast, Mothers. Um, Phil Vecchione and Chris Nizak, they have part-time Gods of Fate. Their Kickstarter is still going strong from Third Eye Games. Um, it's looking really good. They have uh, got some decent stretch goals out there. And as I said last time, you know, as close as a guarantee as I can put on this thing, it's going to happen. These guys are in a really good spot to make things go. They only needed two grand 
to kind of get the base off the ground, and they're already at 4,800 with 154 backers. We've got 17 more days to go as of today, June 14th. So by the time this thing drops, you'll still have plenty of time to throw a few coins at our buddies over there. Help those guys kick that sucker around. It'll be uh, It's going to be a hell of a good setup. I like what they've got there. They've got the game. They've got the art. They've got everything they need. They just need this uh, piece to kind of push them over the end. And, of course, you know, now that they've got the regular stuff taken care of, they're opening the doors a little bit on some of the uh, stretch goals. Nothing crazy. It's all stuff that can be done and you know damn well will be done and done right. So one more for the misdirected mark, boys. Sean, do you want to take the next next two? Uh, yeah, so next one, uh, Bonus BS. Episode two of Bonus BS. Bonus BS is the supplement uh, supplemental show that Brett or I will do or together about things that may lie outside of this show. So I talked to Josh Hoyt, who is um, uh, the director of games for GameholeCon. So he uh, interviewed him. Um, yeah, it was good. So if you get that and you're wondering what's going on, can you hear me, Brett? Yeah, I can hear you. You can't hear the sound, though. No, I cannot hear the sound. Huh, strange things are muck at the Circle K. Anyways. Totally. We lost him there. We were so smooth on the intro Dead that air. we can't get our sound. I don't know. the sound working. Dude, it's like Shawnee better get his groove back like the movie. Oh, Anyways, God, bonus so BS, check it out. Josh Hoyt talks about game hole and uh, coordinating events. Then to give you just a, a little bit of a snippet on what he's dealing with, year one they did 200, oh, a little over 200 and I think 20 events year one. This will be their third year. Okay, so their third year has not yet occurred, and they already have over 500. It's awesome. Crikey. And as we've said before, the cool part about this whole crew is the way they're approaching it is – if I'm going to go to a game convention, how do I want it to run? What do I want? How do I want this to work for me? And that's how they built this thing. So, cool. I'm glad you get a chance to talk to Josh. I was swamped with some uh, family stuff, so I wasn't able to make it. So, I've got to go out and listen to that damn thing. So, sweet. Yeah, and the next one, Gaming and BS Newsletter. I call it area, we, we call it area of effect. Um, so, if, you know, why do you have a newsletter? And Because we want to spam you, right, Sean? No. Spam, spam. S- Brat, no, no, no spam, no, no spamming. No spam. Maybe right, when when we're about to go out in a freaking pile on a funeral pyre, then we'll spam, spam everybody, spam them all. I say, spam them, spam them straight to hell. Yes, but anyway, the reason you want to sign up is in case there's a feed issue or something is a muck, we can still get the we can still get the info out to you. Um, not everybody's on Facebook. Not everybody likes Twitter. Not everybody likes Google+. Um, some people don't like any of them, and they still listen to us. So the newsletter is just to sign up, and if something comes up, we'll, we'll email you. Brett and I have enough stuff going on, so we're not going to like come up with a uh, monthly newsletter to send it out to you. You know, If Brett wants to kickstart something, we'll probably announce it on the show, of course, but maybe we'll, then we'll put it out in a newsletter. I don't know. But that's if you're interested, sign up. Trust me, we will not spam you. We will not share your ad, email address. Um, it's just another way to keep in contact with Brett and I. We can't get the fucking intro right. How the hell are we going to spam you on a regular basis? That's a it's good, not going to happen. It's a very, we, we can't do it. It's a very good point. Uh, all right. Yeah. Why don't we why don't we do a sponsor? 
Let's do it. All right. Ah, I'm gonna. Hopefully, this will work. I don't know what's what channel I'm like messing with. All right. Michael Aldhauser, a friend of the show and sponsor, is the gamer behind the awesome dice bags available at grayedout.etsy.com. Yeah, I've got four of these awesome bags. These are stand-up bags, dual drawstring, tough as nails. He can do custom work. He's got a ton of things in his shop, custom colors, you name it, he can pull it off for you. Be sure to mention Gaming NBS for a 10% discount when you place your order. At the website, grayedout, that's G-R-E-Y-E-D-O-U-T dot Etsy dot com. All right. Yeah. Sweet. We have to redo that too. Somebody mentioned, but they, it was yeah. like embedded into them. <laughs> like they're like, yeah, I, I can think, recite. I think we've got the ad at this point now. If you can't recite it verbatim, you're not listening. You go back and listen to the episode one and work your way through it. At least that way you'll get refreshed on the old ad that we had. That's but I right. think I think we can redo it. I think we will. Well, I don't know if it's like I can recite the whole ad by heart. I mean, that's kind of the point, right? <clears throat> kind of. I think it was a, was it Joe that po- posted on that? It might have been Joe Swick may have said something hey, about man, that. Joe or, you know, I'm going to insult the person that actually didn't, did say that and it might not have been Joe, but. Joe's a good dude. If he said it, he'll own up to it. I'm well, not I don't, I don't know if it was Joe. Yeah. Could have been somebody else. Masquerading as Joe. Right. This is possible. Yeah. Let's get into. Random Encounter. Random Encounter is where we field emails, voicemails, comments from social media, our website, and alike. Brett, you lead it off on this one. All right. So on last episode, episode 39, um, we had a couple different folks came in, and Austin went out <clears throat> excuse me, and started his own little thread here about game groups. And... He's, he, got, he has some really good points. I just kind of want to paraphrase through here and pull out what were the cool parts that I read through. He, he was saying that, you know, I find consistency is one of the most important things about groups he's in. And having that large group, you know, with with constant members, which is one of the things I stressed last time when we talked. And um, he said that he's had a number of times over the years where groups just can't hold together. Um, you know, schedules fall apart. People can't show up or whatever it is. Um and he's saying here, you know, I quote, I really do want to end up in a situation like Brett has with the WGG. That's my, my gaming group. Um, having a group of people you know that well and can, and can consistently run pretty much anything in any sort of way, I feel it should be done. Big problem is getting to that point takes a lot of time and effort on everyone's parts. We'll only end up working as well if the people involved know each other in a way that goes deeper than just through the gaming, I think, unquote. <clears throat> so, Austin, I absolutely agree with you. And um, it was one of the points I definitely tried to to uh, push last time was, you know, we're my, my friends and I that are my long-term gaming group for 20 plus years, we know each other really well outside of the gaming circle. And, uh, it is a lot of effort on my part, but the whole group puts a lot of effort into sorting it out. We've got a game coming up this next Friday and Saturday. Um, I'm going to be heading up to my hometown and we're already now, excuse me, on, on Sunday and late last week talking about who's going to, are we still on track? Is everyone going to be able to make it the way we thought we were? Does something happen? So the lines of communication already start opening up, and we're working with each other. So it, it takes work on all sides. And uh, Austin, I hope that uh, love having you in my group, man. So I'll I'll hang on to you. So at least you've got us, brother. <laughs> wow. Uh, <clears throat> all right, Sean. Next one's you. From Victor Wyatt at New Google Plus regarding episode thirty nine, green group size. Having a long term group is a good thing. Just like remaining 
scream, I should just go back home. Here we go. Start. All right. You got it? Okay. Tag, you're in. Victor Wyatt on G+, episode 39, regarding game group size, when Brett and I talked about that. Having a long-term group is a good thing, just like uh, reaming. It says reaming. That's like reaming game group promiscuous is. Is that that right? Dude, you're muted. I can't hear you. Uh, That's okay. I was laughing too hard. (laughs) It says says reaming. Like, uh, I'm looking at the link, like reaming group, uh, game group promiscuous is. Okay. Whatever, <laughs> <laughs> dude. I, I don't know what copy, there. I like it. I uh, like it. All right. It's continuing on. Holy balls. It's fun and uh, it's fun when you have people you know from playing with them all the time, but it is also beneficial to play with other groups. The area I live in is very cliquish with gaming groups. They stay monogamous to the point of phobia about playing in anyone else's games. You must be loyal to your group is the attitude around here. It's complete stupidity. It's all, all. It's also why I have a hard time finding a local game that's less than 40 minutes away. I've heard of instances where players from one group would get themselves invited to other groups just to poach players. Idiots. He also goes on to yeah, he also goes on to say in the same thread, uh, in another comment, here's another example for you. This is what kind of throw me threw me into a, what? Here's another example for you. I know a group in my area that will go to cons, but if they cannot all play together in a game at the con, they won't play that game. You can't split them up to play with anyone else no matter what. My opinion is that they are really missing out on a lot of fun that could be had. I remember I read these posts when I put them up and I started giggling. I'm, I didn't know what to say, but, you know, having been around gamers for as long as you and I have, Sean, that that weird, the, <laughs> the weirdness that we are sometimes, it comes out in odd ways. I just can't imagine taking a group of people. I don't know how many we're talking about in a group, but, you know, me and eight players show up and say, hey, we want a game. Oh, we all couldn't get into that game. Just going over to the next one and only registering for games so we can play together all the time. Ah, that feels that feels odd. I don't get that. I, I've kind of figured going to the con is that opportunity to see what else is out there, get other ideas, and get inspired by other things. That's just that's fucking weird. Yeah, that is so weird. Yeah. Well, there's the social aspect of the the the, the atypical gamer, right? <laughs> Not wanting to like, oh, I don't know, man. I, I don't want to play with anybody else. Now, in defense of that type of thinking, they may just say. Uh oh, I don't know. Maybe they don't want to get caught with other players that are are that they may see as bad players. I don't know. That's the only reason I could think of it. Yeah, and so I went on to comment on that. I'm like, are you kidding me? What a ridiculous! I'm like, get over yourselves. And uh, there was one instance where, literally, I went to Gen Con one year, and if actually it started out with Tim Jensen, who has also commented on the show, and he's here in Madison. But I, I, I met Tim at JVLCon in Jane, when JVLCon was in Janesville. Okay. And I met up with him, and he showed me all these get cool games. And then he's like, yeah, you should play with us. And I said, sure. So he invited me over to his place to play, like, one one-shot one game. And then I met Clyde Rohr, who is Clyde from Theory of the Closet um, podcast. And Clyde has done this just in from Gen Con one year. I think they did a Kickstarter and got Clyde to – Gen Con one year to host the show. Oh, nice. Yep. And then 
I also met, uh, I think Willow at the time. Um, and Willow and Tim are married now, but regardless, so bear with me folks, I'm getting to the point. So one year in 2011, I wanted to go to Gen Con, but it was a really kind of late notice kind of thing. So I put it out on social media and said, Hey, I want to go to Gen Con. If anybody needs a roomie, let me know. I'm, you know, I'm kind of a clean guy. You know, I probably won't see you often. I'll, I'm pretty autonomous, blah, blah, blah. I just, I'll share the, I'll share the room cost and everything. So John actually built a resume just so people know as a recruiter, he actually built a CV and sent it out to, <laughs> yeah, I did gaming CV, which I've been meaning to do actually. And so then I, uh, so Clyde actually said, Hey, how weird are you about staying with people you don't know? And I'm like, dude, they're gamers. I'm good with it. So then he got me in touch with Adam, uh, for, uh, or David Pania from at the time, the podcast. Now I had been listening to the podcast, um, him and um, Luke for, and then a few other guys there in that show for a while since they spun off from Fear the Boot. And I'm like, oh, I know you guys. Great. And he's like, hey, here's the deal. So I went from like not having a room to I'll put the room in your name. And then I've got all these other people that want to join in, you know, get in there. So at the same time, I met um, Scott, who is the story shtick on Twitter. And he came in from Denver. I know, um, uh, troll from Iowa who actually came up from the forge this past, um, couple months ago who I had mentioned. Cool. Yeah. So I met all these, so I met these guys and hung around with them at Gen Con. And then since I was with this group and there are a bunch of podcasters, you know, David sent me an invite to the a podcaster meetup with all these guys. And I think that was the same year I met Alex, Alex Mayo, even though I didn't really talk to him in, in a lot of depth and remember him because I, I didn't hang with Alex for any amount of time. I think it was just more in passing. Like, Hey, nice to meet you. But I, you know, I met all these guys and now I know them and I see them at cons or I see them on social media and that would have never happened if I just never talked to like Tim Jensen, right? Or talked to this guy or Josh Hoyt, which you, if you listen to the bonus BS episode with Josh, I would have never gotten affiliated with Gamehole if Josh wasn't in the game I was sitting in. That's how I got, he, he handed me a bookmark and he's like, oh, you're from Madison. You should come to our convention. And I'm like, what? Who are these guys? I don't even know who these jokers are. And then I didn't know Alex until actually the, that, that con, the first, you know, the, the, when we, the first game Cole, game hole one, I didn't meet him in advance. I met him at the con and my first interaction, I think I say on bonus BS is that I was perturbed because they kind of messed up with my, my event registration or something. And I was kind of rude actually with Alex, but you know, now I talk to Alex, you know, you know, trade emails probably at least once a month, um, sometimes have lunch or whatever. So it's like this, all these people I know, I don't know, man, I just don't get it. I, I, uh, not a lot of people thrive on, they, they don't care if they meet anybody else. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, I look back at, um, I guess in the, we've talked about, I said, mentioned this a little bit last episode, right? In 39, we're talking about the alpha gamer perspective and yeah. like people, people who listen to gaming podcasts, people who go on Google plus and gaming communities or Facebook communities, or even the, fo- even the forge that back when the forge was a big, uh, I don't even know if the forum is still kicking around. I, I don't really track forums very well. Uh, RPG net and those places when they were really, when they were big and gaming outposts back in the day when that was a thing, but that's a, it's a small group of people, Right. Because there are a lot, a lot of gamers out there. You go to Gen Con and it's you and 50,000 of your closest friends and you're not going to run into them all. You're not going to see them all. But even then, I mean, I know lots of gamers who've never been to a convention ever. 
even when there's one in their next in next door to them, practically, they don't go <clears throat> because it's, just, it's not their thing. And I get it and that, you know, some people don't like large groups. They don't want to be there. They're having fun doing what they're doing. Fine. But I think the the thing that Victor talks about is the, the clickishness there of, you know, basically, you know, ninja into a whole nother group just to poach players to come play with their group. That's just wonky. I don't, you know, that I, I kind of get it. Maybe I don't know. It just seems incredibly childish. I just don't get it. And to go to a con to only play with the people that you always play with seems odd to me as well. Yeah. Eh, you know, I guess to each his own, as it were. Yeah. But I don't know. Seems- Seems fucked up to me, man. Yeah, moving on. Mo Tusano, uh, board gaming god of Windsor, Canada, episode 37. He's behind a few. Um, but he comments, and he's still tuning into us. Character Jen was the was the episode. He says he's been swamped with work, um, and he now finished the Character Gen episode. So he said, good episode. Over the years, this has changed a lot with my groups. We still usually do character generation together, but I think that's mainly because I'm the guy that owns the books, and they are at my house. We usually try to work together to do the whole balanced party thing, but don't try all that hard at it. The main thing that has changed is how the games start now. It always used to be, okay, D, describe your guy. Okay, M, describe yours, etc. All rather boring when you think about it, which is pretty common. I almost do the exact same thing. And Yes. Yeah, it's boring. Um, ever since running Robin, Robin Laws's Feng Shui, I now start up every game in the middle of an action sequence, most often a combat, but now and then some other perilous situation. We don't ask who people are or what they look like. We just play. At some point during the scene, I will have the players add more info. So when Big J is missed by an orc in D&D, I'll ask, the orc swings his blow deflected by your armor. Just exactly what does that armor look like? What is character name wearing? A couple rounds later, I'll get the elf to add detail. Uh, The goblin jumps on your back, grabbing your hair. What color was it again? Then after that uh, starting encounter is over, I ask a question, so why are you here? That's when we get into the character background and why the players are working together. At this point, you've already established what the scene is and what the characters are doing together. Now you just need to fill in the blanks with why. You stand before the final door of the labyrinth. You know the Minotaur is right behind the door. Now that you've dispatched the final guards, you know that all that is left is the final battle. D, why is your character ready to burst through that door? Well, because it's there. It's there. Because it's there. Because it's there. <laughs> in all the years I have done game, I've you know run games and so on, I can count, I think, on one hand the number of in-media rays, you know, the, the mid-action starts I've ever had. It's always been, it's not been, it's been like a really short, hey, you're in this place and then bang, something happens, but there's a slower start to it as opposed to, okay, are we ready to play? Great. Good. The gun goes off. The bullets come whizzing by your head. What are you going to do? You're well, what, what's going on? You know, I've not, I've not done that yet. And that's a piece when I read, um, when I read, uh, Knights black agents, I was thinking about that more and a couple other games I've been reading, um, over the last few years. I'm like, you know what? I should, I should do that sometime. I've never started a game like that. I never started a story or a campaign with that beginning. And I think it's cool. It's a great way 
not even thinking about it as just a character development piece, but a good way to introduce the characters and get people pulled in. So I love that piece that Mo threw out there. I, I think I'm going to have to steal that at some point. That's some pretty good stuff. Yeah, there's a few shows that say um, in media res is the way to go. I do, uh, for con games, I, I believe that if I forget, I should always start out in media res and con games. All right. Hey, get, here's get the, the action deal. rolling. Yeah, here's the deal. Blah, 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 blah. Here's the game. Everybody familiar with the rules? No? Yes? Okay, great. Uh, we'll coach you through it. Not a problem. All right, here's kind of the premise. Ready to go? Sure. Yeah, it's kind of set the stage. All right, everybody roll for initiative. Bam! Bam. Yeah. And right in. Right. Yeah, there you go. That's uh, that's it for um, Random Encounter. Thanks for everybody that um, wrote in. Much appreciated. All right, let's get into the main topic of discussion. All right. So I wanted to talk today about cliches and tropes a little bit. This is similar to, but not identical to, the topic Sean and I had a number back. And again, if you can't remember the episode, which neither can I, just listen at one and keep going through. Um, it's not the same as, you know, why Brett can't use dead babies in this game anymore. No? I'm talking about the ones that... You know, every wizard is an old man on a, who looks like Gandalf, you know, or he's, you know, all hobbits are chubby and like to eat or whatever, whatever you've got in there. And kind of why some of those are fun, why perhaps you might want to lean into them. I was thinking about this for a while, you know, running games now for my kids and for other gamers that are newer or younger and don't have some of the experiences and how I found that some of these cliches, especially when you throw it out there, even if you do it use the cliche as a twist or start for a twist or something like that, it's a really good place to start sometimes. And I have seen some folks, and I, this kind of kicked in my brain from the Angry GM. He's on uh, Google Plus and a couple other places. But the Angry GM had a post on it basically saying, really, anyone who says that you shouldn't use these things is just, you know, overthinking it. Just whatever, dude. If it's fun, lean into it. That kind of got me, you know, noodling on it a bit. And I thought, you know, that's kind of what I do. Really, if, if it seems like it's a good thing or if it's a good way to get past a scene to just use a cliche right out of the gate, go with it. So, Sean, do you have – I don't even care, like, you know, the type of game per se. I mean, fantasy tends to be a standard that a lot of people are aware of or whatever. But do you have – do you ever sit down and say, oh, I can't do this thing because it's cliche. I need to not ever do those things. I'm trying to build myself out of using cliches or anything like that. Do you consciously think of that stuff or just kind of roll with it? No, I don't usually – I don't, I'm not adverse to cliches. I think, uh, I don't really give it much thought. I don't, I don't, uh, how am I going to introduce this character that died or, and they read, they read the player remade a character. Uh, I don't consciously sit and say, um, oh, that's too much of a cliche. That's too much of a trope. It's just either I get it thrown in there or not. Honestly, I think it would be funny, uh, and interesting just to do a game that's all just, all those tropes and cliches like at a con make it camp, back to back make it campy yeah you you don't have any like you know if you dm like something like pharaoh you're in the middle of a desert you don't know why you're with each other or anything like you traveled 15 you know you put in the box test and you go oh and then a silhouette appears before you blah, 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 um and ray and talks and then you're like okay into the you know if somebody dies you go in and oh, there's a prisoner, blah, blah, blah. And there's, you know, that's the next character. And hey, you are all at the end. Blah, you know, I mean, I don't think, I think some of that is just, um, yes, we know it's tropes. Yes, we know it's cliches, but 
you know, some of us get hung up on like, oh, that's dumb. Oh, can't you think of something original? While others like me, I would be like, great. Is there somebody Wait, I could pick pockets, you know, or whatever? I would I, totally lean into this because this yeah, is what I'm here for. Yeah, whatever. It's campy. You gives a shit, you know? I think to uh, to paraphrase um, Ken Height, which I've done a couple different times on, on this topic, but he's like, you know, a railroad's fine as long as the scenery is good. Yeah. I would say the cliche or trope is fine as long as the scenery is good. Yeah. Similar, similar type of setting, right? If you're going through and, you know, the – the barmaid is hitting on the elf and the dwarf is gruff and taciturn and the halfling's got his furry feet on the table with his big belly complaining that the stew's not as good as mom's and he's smoking a, a pipe and the wizard is a long beard. <clears throat> That's okay as long as the rest of it is still fun. The story itself, unless the story itself is an absolute see-through cliche or trope, but even but even then there's enough randomness in the game itself, right? Um, <clears throat> unless you as a player are going to take your person and play the cliche to the letter, you know, your character is the cliche and you're going to just walk with it. Well, even that can be fun. Like, nope, sorry, I'm a dwarf. It's gold. I've got to collect it. I'm a dwarf. It's just how I am. Or, you know what? I'm from, you know, Alpha Centauri. Everyone from Alpha Centauri does this thing. I'm going to go do this thing. It says so right in the text. That's what I'm, I'm just going to go with it and lean into it. So I think there's, there's a serious level of comfort slash fun that comes with that. You know, just kind of having that stuff and, and working with it. I sometimes use cliches and tropes uh, and spin it because I know it is a cliche and trope. So I like having uh, every once in a while, oh, well, you know, you're going to have a dwarven fighter or a dwarven cleric. You're going to have the elf and they're going to be all fancy and dainty and, and super archery or whatever it is that kind of falls. You know, it's funny. Some of these are just stereotypical, right? Like yeah. st- We stereotype our own D&D or, you know, fantasy RPG classes. Yes, we do. <laughs> but, you know, every once in a while, I will make up something that is totally contrary. So one time I, I – let me tell you about my character, Brett. This is – let me do tell you. I want to hear about it. Okay, that's great. Uh, this one <laughs> he's time – He's half drow, half demon. He's got two short swords, so he's not like the other one. No. And he has a figure in Wonder's Power that's an owl. That's it's right. not a cat, so it's totally different. No, it's not that bad. But I, uh, I created a halfling, a paladin halfling. And he would ride around on a on a on like a war dog, and he would be that's like he was badass, like he was champion. So nice. instead of like the the thief or whatever, he would have you know plate armor, and he would be. I mean, I would buff that guy, and and you know, I think this is when we were playing three five. I'd buff that guy as as tough as he could get, and I'd be like, that's he's badass halfling, and, and he, he would be the guy like he would. You know, so some people think, oh, halflings, oh, they're thieves, and they're kind of like the kender, so they're kind of lighthearted and blah, 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 blah. I'd make this guy, like, serious as hell. Like, like no, he didn't see him as, like, halfling guy. He just, I am, I, I don't remember his name, though. But, you know, so instead of the trope, I turned it all the way on its head. You know, same thing with, like, um, a dwarf, like, make him a wizard or something. Yeah. You know? That was actually one of the cool things about... 3.0 and, and further is when you didn't have – shit, I'll have to look up my second edition stuff just to be sure. But, you know, the the class and the race restrictions, <clears throat> getting rid of that, which a lot of people did anyway, just to be able to mix it up a bit. Some of my favorite <laughs> NPCs I had were um, a pair of quote-unquote bad guys that were plaguing the party were these two uh, twin halfling brothers, and they grew up as fighters. 
they were not thieves at all. They had like shit decks. They were no good. Like full plate chainmail swords and axes. One guy had a long sword he used as a two handed weapon. And they decided that they wanted to get into thieving, and they were absolutely abysmal at it. So they, you know, they, they couldn't stalk, couldn't hide, <laughs> just waylaying people and beating the shit out of them instead. So they just, you know, took a disliking to the party and just kept wailing the crap out of them. And sometimes even that, if you, <laughs> I think if you if you want to peel the onion more and more, even if you take something like what we just described with halflings, people go, oh, that's actually kind of cliche because everybody does that with halflings. Oh, Jesus Christ. You know, everybody takes it and <clears throat> turns on its head. We got to be more original. You got to be this. You can't do this thing. Well, first off, fuck that, right? If, if is it working and is it fun and are you and your players able to lean into it? The other thing to me that's interesting is sometimes, especially I'm seeing this with the younger players or inexperienced players, is the predictable is sometimes really, really helpful. They'll come into town and they'll want to know X. And like, okay, I'm going to go talk to the barkeeper. I'm going to go talk to the person who works at this store or whatever it is because they should know this. <clears throat> kind of encouraging them to think outside of that helps them to say, well, okay, there is no bard in town. Who else would be a traveler who might know? Oh, I'm going to go talk to the tinker. He might know something. But having them do something that's predictable or think in predictable ways isn't necessarily bad. You get to fuck with it, right? You can set them up for the twist where – <clears throat> the old kindly guy isn't really old and kindly. He's actually an evil bastard who, you know, in one of Brett's older games, you know, murders babies. But, hey, whatever. Everybody murders babies in Brett's game. So that's that's kind of a cliche. Yeah. But, well, when you call the game uh, baby murder, I mean, what, what do you murder. expect? <laughs> baby murder. Yes, that's <laughs> part five. Let's play baby murder, Brett. I love that game. It's fun. I guess the, the thing that I find interesting, and I see it online periodically, is um, – People will say, I'm going to steal this from Chris Nizak over at Misdirector Mark, you know, the play better games, damn it. And I don't think that cliches and tropes, in my in my interpretation of, of what Chris is saying when he says play better games, damn it, is, is not saying don't ever use those, right? I think it's kind of, if, you're, if you cook it all, it's the spice perspective, right? If you oversalt it, it tastes like crap. If you over whatever it is, it's not necessarily going to work. <clears throat> you can use them. And lean into them, but I don't think that <coughs> you should look at your gaming in this great, you know, how do I want to say, philosophical or yeah, you're not um, Shakespeare when you're doing this. No, shit. we're not. We're not. We're we're playing this to have fun with your friends, and um, depending who you're with, you know, if everybody's, you know, it's chips dip and a good microbrew, and you're having some beer and you're playing D and D and you're having fun, it doesn't matter. Right, as long as it's good and the you know it's doing everything you want it to do, you're not a bad GM. You're not a bad player for doing this thing, for leaning into that cliche or setting the the adventure up with a couple of those standardized tropes for whatever the genre or system is. Because sometimes, depending what the session is supposed to be <clears throat> that evening, I have found that it can be very relaxing and even more fun if I honestly know what to expect in some regards. Um, Sometimes it's fun to say, what are we doing today? We're clearing out a cobalt layer. Good. We're going to fucking kill some cobalts today. Cobalts are small and sneaky. There's going to be small sneaky shit to deal with and traps and this and that. And, oh, guess what? There's a big boss monster in the middle. Sometimes that's fun. Sometimes it's cool to go in and kill the shit out of, you know, critters, take their stuff and move on. It doesn't always have to have the big grandiose plot connected to it. So I think <clears throat> it doesn't. Smack, smack of lack of creativity or you're a bad player 
you know, because you the way you like your dwarves is you like them dour and taciturn and they love gold. It doesn't mean you're a bad player or a bad game master for doing it. I think it's fine to, you know, lean into them and use them as much or and as often as you think might be fun. You know, unless if your group hates it, that's a different story. Well, and the thing is, is that I get with, I mean, I have friends that play the same guy all the time. And so I don't know how that fits into tropes, but... Oh, See, I think oh, you're going to play that go- guy. And oh, let me guess, his, his name's going to rhyme with the last one you had. Looking at you, <laughs> yes. Jeff. I'm looking at you, Jeff. Jeff, that the guy kinda- never listens to this show who I went out with last night. <laughs> we'll just call him out I'm right just going to keep talking about him behind his back yeah, on, the, on the show. He stabs you. He'll <laughs> <laughs> be found shanked in an alleyway somewhere in Madison. No, he would never do that to me. Uh-huh. I think, so the interesting component of this is sometimes that people take when you take anything too far, right? And what's too so, what's too far, Brett? What is exactly. too, what is too far? So I think the too far aspect of it is when it becomes a groaner at the table. Oh. Right? <clears throat> you're going down the street you're like, "Oh yeah, so it's an old wizard, but guess what? He's super powerful and he's the ultimate bad guy. He acts like Fizbin the Fabulous from Dragonlance. Yeah, it's the same fucking guy." Oh, blah, blah, blah. Um, Elminster. Oh, it's Elminster. Yeah, it's yeah, him yeah. too. Okay, yeah. good. It's the same goddamn guy. You know, no, it's, if it's, it's always, Gandalf. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's that which does harken back to the you know, please God, Brett, no more dead babies. It's it's similar to that piece of it, dude. Let it but go, I, man. I know, I dead totally babies. It. So I think it's easy for players, and uh, I, I guess I want to say it's easy for game masters to fall into the cliches and tropes when it comes to setting up the stories. And so on, guys. When I'm playing, like you went when you when you made your uh, your halfling paladin, and why I made my halfling fighters, or even um, ah, shit, what was I gonna say? A you grumpy know, ass dwarf, elf. Yeah, a grumpy dour taciturn elf who loves gold. Okay, yeah, why not? A thief. You know, yeah, you know, flipping stuff around. You know, making the if you played Star Frontiers, you can have a dralocyte with no sense with <clears throat> no sense of humor at all. You can have a Vrusk with an absolutely funny sense of humor or something weird, which are just kind of flips those races around a little bit. Um, but the point is, is that I think when it becomes a groaner at the table and people are like, oh, really? Again? Then it harkens again back to that other episode. And I think it's harder, and I, I'm assuming some players are going to call me out on this, but I think it's harder for Game Master sometimes to keep stuff fresh and new all the time. If you're sitting down, you're going to make a player, excuse me, your player and you're making a character you're like, look, I'm going to make uh, another vampire for one of Joe Swick or Brett's World of Darkness games. Great. <clears throat> I'm going to do that. I really like Gangrel. Well, I'm going to take my Gangrel, which are these kind of feral, turn into a wolf, turn into a bat type of vampires. I'm going to do something a little bit different. You've got time to work with your usual thing and twist it around. And a lot of times, depending on how much prep work you do as a game master, I think the cliches and tropes become really good go-to things when you're caught flat-footed. When you've got to do something, you've got to be able to think on your feet. The larger the store of cliches and tropes in your in your trick bag, the more improv you're able to pull off. You give me a blank stare, Sean. What do you think? No, I there? think I think that uh I think tropes and cliches have to be well, we always talk about fantasy RPGs and that those things are always full of tropes. Hey, here's here we're going to send you on a quest. Well, that's a, you know, there you go. Well, you've got to go reco- Got to recover this. Oh, there Espionage. you go. You work for a super top secret organization. <gasps> and you're a, and you're a wet worker guy. You're you do you kill people for a living. You're, 
you know, ninja stealth guy. You're the secret right. assassin knifer. You're the computer person. You're the whatever. You know, and that, so that's a good point. One of the guys, I don't know if it was, who was it that was on Google Plus? And I see his avatar who was going to run when fate got done kickstarting. He wanted to run a lost game based on the TV series lost. Okay. And he made, and it was really cool because he made up, um, I think the character sheets or the invite to play he did on like an airline ticket. So he mocked up uh, a fake airline ticket and was like, you know, this is and, what I'm going to use. That's kind of fun. Yeah, as a as kind of a, an invite to it and a, a prop. But anyways, yeah, you don't usually play like, okay, everybody, it's you know, 2015. Everybody roll up average guy or whatever, profession, scientist, you know, hacker guy, and then take them on a series of, you know, and create, how would you create Lost if you didn't know the if you didn't know the TV show, right? How would you create that in an RPG? But if you did, it would still be cool and fun. Like, oh, who's this Jacob guy? Like, watch Lost if you haven't, for Christ's sake. But anyways, you know, I've not seen Lost, but I know. Have you? About you it. really haven't? No, I haven't. You know, I think not, in, no, not interested. I think you. I think it would be cool though, from a story perspective though, if you saw it and and you'd probably frustrate the hell out of yourself because everybody else everybody else did when they found out what the ending was like but anyways there are elements in it like wow these are some cool story elements that you can incorporate into an RPG and keep people wondering what's going on but it's not like fantasy it's not espionage it's just a group of people that are together that are kind of wandering around wondering how they you know how they're going to get off this stupid freaking island and all the goofiness that occurs on it well, I remember watch. I, my wife was watching it for a bit, and I caught up on a couple. Uh, I wa- kind of watched, walked through the living room while she's watching a couple episodes. And there was one where it was okay. So, the person with the gun on the island after the crash is either you know this person's pining for his lost wife who died, or this person's worried about the baby. And some of it was so. Oh, you're this person. You're this person. Oh, you're the person who looks like he ought to be a bad guy, but probably has a heart of gold. Some of that stuff is in there. The rest, again, though. The cliches and the tropes are fine as long as the scenery is good. And the scenery in that case is the story. The story is complicated enough. The setting is strange enough that everybody working within their little player character cliche or trope is perfectly fine because the rest of it is interesting enough that you're willing to say, okay, fine, all right. So the <clears throat> the Asian guy doesn't necessarily have to be the super smart computer guy or the math guy because that just because it's a, a racial stereotype doesn't mean we're doing that here. Doesn't mean that cliche slash stereotype is is sticking. Um, so I think I think what you're saying is kind of illustrates my point earlier, which is that if the scenery is good, if the story is fun, it doesn't much matter. If you've got it, doesn't become a groaner at the table. You're like, oh Jesus, it's another one of those. It's another dungeon crawl where there's a wizard who needs something done great it's not another one of those or it's not another espionage game or whatever it is, is that, am i following you there or did i to- totally take you up somewhere you didn't want to go you always take me places i don't want to go brett <laughs> <laughs> help help sean needs an adult <laughs> he leaves me abandoned in the middle of nowhere uh, you, what? sorry go ahead no go no, no, no you go no. ahead no. all right i'll go go say so one of the pieces I, I talked about before we got on the Lost piece, which I do like, and now I think I might have to grab an episode or two, but 
the what I'm saying is that if you want to, for me, when I started to do improv game mastering, lower prep, lower prep, saying I have a beginning and an ending and various different cool components I may or may not want to throw into an adventure and kind of minimizing the amount of prep work I do. I, when I read books or watch TV shows like a lost or something, I go, Ooh, that's a neat thing. I'm going to put that in my brain. Basically I'm going to hang on to that either make a note or try to remember it as a cool thing that could or that could happen at some point. So having that large (coughs) collection of cliches or tropes or story concepts that you can pull out at various different times. And I think the the more breadth and depth of those that you have, if there is a certain cliche or trope of mystery novels or thriller movies versus science fiction or horror or action films, if you take all those components just within the uh, different <clears throat> larger genres of film, if you take some of the things that you know are always going to happen, uh, yeah, that's cliche. Schwarzenegger's going to say this. This is what's going to happen here. The guy with the with uh, who they've been talking about his ability with a bow and arrow, well, guess what? He's going to shoot the fucking dragon, right? This is what's going to happen. If you take those things and you either make notes or if you've got a good memory, keep them in your brain, it helps you to pull those cliches and tropes out in order to get yourself out of a spot. Because while you're improv game mastering, you're working your way through different components of it. Everyone's having a good time. It's fun. And then somebody wants to go talk to the scullery maid. And you're like, okay, um, the scullery maid is like this. Part of it is just the ability to create a persona or something. And knowing that, you know what, the scullery maid conversation is going nowhere. It will be a cliche of a scullery maid. And she will tell them nothing that they haven't already learned. Or you decide, no, I'm going to take that and flip that cliche and it will be a scullery maid who absolutely does know things that they that they need to get a hold of and flip it a little bit this person is smarter than they seem it's a doppelganger it's a something or other and being able to tie that together because you know enough of the different twists and turns through experience and research on these components that you can pull those out and uh to me at least when i when i'm doing my improv thing that is one of the things that run that's constantly in a wheel cycling through my brain is, you know, okay, they're going over here. Do I want to do something with that? Do I take this other cliche trope thing in my head, a persona type, and roll that out now? Or does it not matter and I'm just going to ignore it? Because, again, I don't do a lot of prep for my games. So I have a beginning and ending, some cool shit in the middle. But um, when they go out, when the players go off through the rails on me or some different direction I'm not ready for, I have to be able to adapt to it and throw something at them. And to that, a lot of times I whip out a cliche, bam, hit them with it. You know, it, it's 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 a good stopgap while they're dealing with that cliche or tropey thing that they always deal with. I have, a, I have a second or minute or two to sit back and either retool the plot or start to steer things better so that they can get back on track if I need to do that. I totally ranted there. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's, hey, man. That's kind of what I, it's kind of hey, what man. I let's, if you've just got on, this is what Brett does. So, hey, man, hey, that's that's cool, dude. You you go with your bad self. So, Sean, you do a lot of um, pre-made adventures, right? Like the Lost Minds of Fendelver and some of the, the module type of things that, that you do. I do. Do you care to go through those and you don't go through, oh, my God, this is too cliche. I have to change this. Do you do any of – do you hack – Hack them up at all and say, ah, this is this druid is wise and you know lives in the woods. That's just fucking stupid. I'm going to flip it. No, 
No. Uh, when you when you go through an adventure with me, I am uh, very unoriginal. I will follow the book to a T. And if you don't um, follow my my path that I uh, lay before you, well, I will make sure you do, and go back <laughs> and go back to what is something that we all really need when it comes to running a game group. Lovely. Uh, I don't tweet. I have tweaked. I have, I have tweaked. Uh, First step is admitting you've done it. Yeah. When you take math, you will tweak. <laughs> I have tweaked. Not using math. Uh, I started out with the uh, worm, worm, the worm module. Oh, the ones, um, the adventure path from Dungeon Magazine. The yeah. worm. Okay. Yeah, the worm. Yeah, it's all about Sons of Caius and various different components thereof. The worm. Yes. Fuh. What is the I name of the thing? I can't remember what that's called either. God. Anyway. You know, so as people listen to this, they're like, ah, because I get like that when I listen to podcasts. It's this, you moron. Say it. I know what it is. God, I know what it is. You guys are doing a podcast. You should know what it is. Um. Yeah, I did, the, I did that one, and I started out, and then I just I changed it completely. But it went and it went fine, and then the the whole game fizzled out. So I'm not opposed to. That's what I'm thinking about doing with you guys in the Lost Man of Fandelver. I just haven't sat down and thought, well, how where can this go? Because right now it's kind of it's really linear, and it would okay. it wouldn't make sense for me to go. Oh, I should really change it and either bring in a trope or a cliche and change it. I just well, we'll see. If you get to a point where it's like, oh, this would be perfect to throw in this, super. Awesome. But, the, you know, getting the group to where they are now has just been a, you know, been a chore. It's just been a chore, hasn't it? It's just tough. I didn't say chore. <laughs> I still wanted to, though. I heard you. I know. I was like mumbling it under my breath. Brett could read I, it on my face. You were going to say chore. You're going to say chore. It's so a pain in the ass. You said it. You bastards. I can't stand any of you. Took me freaking three months to get them where they are now. Like I said, man, it's all, you know, hey, man, it's all, just gotta, 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 <laughs> get, gotta get on that train, gotta, gotta get on get, the Sean train, that's how it goes. Gotta get them to where I want them. I think, what am I going to say here? The The fact is, if you, if we sit down, at least in, in my opinion, if you sit down and were to dissect one of my storylines, you could probably say, hey, that sounds a lot like this other thing somebody did. That sounds a lot like this other book that Brett read, or, hey, I bet you I know where he got that idea. At the end of the day, we're going to steal the living shit out of stuff. One of my favorite books was Stealing Cthulhu by Graham Walmsley. And I picked it up at Gen Con a number of years ago. And basically, you read the book, it says, look, if you want to take a Cthulhu adventure and make it a Lovecraftian feel, here's what you do. It says, hey, here's how you take the color out of space and flip it so that it's the uh, the the me go. Or here's how you take Whisper uh, Whispers in the Darkness Actually, is me go and flip it so it's deep ones. Here's how you take Innsmith, Shadows over Innsmith and flip that so it's the doles, these nasty worm creatures. It's you know you're taking these things that are, <clears throat> especially in Cthulhu. There's a number of things in my opinion that like oh yeah you're by the water. It's the fucking ocean. It smells like salt and there's these weird degenerate people. Fucking deep ones. Hello and they're interbreeding with humans again, again, and that can be very. You know, you know, cut my wrist. I've done this, seen it. I've killed how many goddamn fish people. But if you take it and change it a little bit, 
right? Again, it's, it's the twist. Sometimes it's comfortable to go in and <clears throat> see the thing like, oh, it's fish people. I get it. It's always going to be fish people. Oh, press them something a little bit different with fish people this time. That's that's cool. And then as the game master taking something solid, as we said, you use it to set yourself up for the twist. You may not know what the twist is going in, but if nothing else, you can drag the players in because they're like, oh, look, it's a fucking cliche trope road. It feels like a rail. I know where it's going. I'm going to start going this way. And sometimes it's fun to use the player's um, natural tendencies to get on that train and see where it's going and then flip it and say, no, it's not a train at all. It's actually a horse and buggy or it's, hey, it's a time travel thing or, hey, it's not this, it's that. But the the fact is we're going to steal shit. We're going to steal shit from everything we read, we watch, we see. Phil Vecchione does a thing where he was talking once about being kind of immersive as a game master. And I know that if I'm going to run a sci-fi game when I ran uh, my Murder City campaign, I stopped reading and watching anything that had to do with fantasy. And I paid attention to sci-fi, cyberpunky stuff because I wanted to really make sure I absorbed as many cliches and tropes and concepts as I could so that way I could flip them out whenever I needed one. Whenever I was in a bind, I could say, um, the Decker looks like this. The uh, It looks like that. Or here's how you do a security thing or whatever it was. I had that shit in my head and on my notes so I could just pull it out whenever I needed it to get myself out of a bind. Because, you know, I, I studied it before I got into it. Same, th- same type of thing I do with, um, even with my fantasy games. I go through and if the fantasy game I'm going to run has a certain tone to it, if it's Warhammer fantasy-ish, I'm going to pull out my Gotrek and Felix novel or short stories that they've got, read a couple of those, get my brain in that mindset, and uh, st- stay in that space. Yeah, I'm going to steal stuff from those books or steal stuff from that movie. And that's perfectly fine. And I think that... It doesn't, again, it doesn't mean you're a bad or lazy game master or player. It's just, you know, if it's a groaner is when you can tell you've gone too far. When they look at you and say, really, again, or any variation thereof, you can tell. I don't think it's so much the cliche and tropes as it is the GM's use of the same material. Okay, right? so it's, I the think, scen- it's the sceneries. The scenery sucks. Well, no, I think so. I've got a buddy who probably doesn't listen to the podcast, so I get to talk about him behind his back. When he runs a game, there are always elements in it, and it may not be what the game's cliche is or trope, but it is because of what he does and how he runs it or what encounters he has. So it's like, oh, great, you know. So just by doing that, it's cliches and tropes that are inherent to him, that are generated from him. And it resonates through the group. So if Brett sat in there, he would be like, oh, yeah, okay, great, no big deal. Or I could see where the source of inspiration is, no problem. But when we play, it's like, oh, yeah, hey, dude, let's not go in that room because we know, you know, he'll be like, so, are you, you want to go in that room? No. Uh, well, you sure? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it gets to a point where, like, fuck, you know, I'm, I'm, screw it, man. I'm not gonna deal with this bullshit because we're gonna get locked in here and we're gonna get smashed with big bad. So we'll just go to the next one. Well, yeah, but this one has the mark that you're looking for on the front of the door. That's okay. Don't care. Moving That's on. Okay. Yeah, next one. <laughs> All right. So it's it's delivery is what we're saying. I mean, your cliche and trope hurts when it's delivered poorly. Or when it is the only one always, that's ever used. It's always the same. Yeah. If every dwarf Dead you babies. meet is always if every dwarf you meet is a dour, taciturn, little money grubbing bastard, 
you've after a certain point you're like is there anybody here who you know uh, give me a dwarf that drinks wine and not beer give me a dwarf who doesn't have a scottish accent what? and act like a viking give me something yeah. different please you know give me a wood elf who likes beer give me you know <laughs> something different please um i get it and the same i mean even in your shadow runs and and your fantasy or your, or your vampires or modern settings or anything like that there's a certain point when you want to say look i i know that you're a tough street kid who's down on his luck, but turns out he's, you know, Harry Potter. Good for you. I mean, it's, it's you know, the, the Mary Sue concept is, it, it's rife all over the place. Um, not picking on Harry Potter per se, but the fact that, you know, there's a multi-billionaire who happens to have a secret lair and has all these different, you know, it's fucking Batman at a certain point. Oh, oh, it, oh okay. You know. I didn't it, even it, see it, that. <laughs> you didn't see that coming. Oh, wow. My delivery is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, point is, get a is GM. You, know, you got a GM to somebody that's been living under a rock for ten years. Exactly. You know, that's a good point. Actually, is that you know, <laughs> if you're GM into grown men and women who've been playing for a while, or even just been in the nerdosphere or the same group for a while. Right? Yeah, you've right? got to change the shit up. Yeah. You know, there's going to be certain things like you know, Brett's dead babies that like, okay, that's an overused thing, and I'm not necessarily necessarily saying. Um, that you're overusing it, but it's it's the how. You know, if you're using them periodically for comfort, that's fine, and and they're fun. Like I said, sometimes it's fun to say, you know what, wait, wait. I'm gonna have five main adventure, five main encounters, and a big boss battle at the end. Let's do it. Dude, you're the way you said that was so dead. <laughs> what I do? You're like, what yeah, you know, dead babies. So you know, it's when it's fun, <laughs> and I'm like, what are you getting us into? Did anybody See, else catch even, that? Yeah, I bet yeah, you they're listening. They're like, Brett didn't even know what he just said. You know, so when you're like dealing with dead babies and that's fun, um, you're just kind of like, oh right, my right, god, right. let's put All this, right. let's put this to an end. Hey, let's go in. Yeah. Let's yeah, let's go into die roll, die roll. Two to four miscellaneous points of gaming or geekery we want to share with you, the listener, Brett. You want to start off. Sure, I've got three of them this time. Um, FTC is dropping the hammer on the failed Kickstarter, the Doom that came to Atlantic City. Drop the hammer, Washington, Washington Drop Post. Drop the hammer. There, uh, I got the link. <laughs> You're not letting They're me trying. sing. No, I'm not. Drop the hammer. <laughs> it's time for action. Drop the hammer. That's enough. But I think this is one of those pieces that, for those of us who've been involved in Kickstarters that did not do quite so well, or kind of pissing you off. I think it was, if you will, a matter of time because once the dollar figures get big enough, like the Doom that came to Atlantic City, that was a fair amount of cash involved in that thing. And there's going to be a certain point when someone's going to say, you know what, fuck this, people are going to get sued or this is going to happen. And, you know, what did they get? They ended up with like $122,000, $123,000. It's a lot of money. You know, granted, it's not, it's not millions, but it's still a lot of cash. So... It's interesting that the FTC is getting involved and that there's, you know, I think it's the other piece of it, though, is, you know, kind of the, as my mother would say, what are you going to, you can't bleed a turnip. You know, what are you going to get out of it if there's nothing there? But it may serve, if nothing else, as a good warning for other idiots who are running Kickstarters that either are not delivering or you have no chance in delivering if you realize that there might be a real fucking punishment for taking people's cash and running away with it. Yeah. God damn it. Bastards. So in friendlier news, Chaosium, as we mentioned last time, we've got um, Sandy Peterson and Greg Stafford are back. They're at the helm. Well, one of the first things I see they do is they've got a huge freaking blowout sale going. Go to 
Chaosium.com. What the heck do they have here? 50% off on all uh, BRP and Call of Cthulhu monographs. Um, anything from Fantasy Flight board games and miniatures, Cubicle 7 books, Golden Goblin, Arc Dreams, and more. Oh, my God. 75% off remaining stock of Eternal Champions and D20 Call of Cthulhu Game Master Packs. 10% off everything else they sell. I mean, it's sale, sale, sale over there. So Everything must go. That's what it sounds like. So if you're a Chaosium fan and you want to get in on stuff, and if you're in uh, Brett's group and you want to buy the basic role-playing uh, core rulebook because that's what I'll be running next, yeah, you might want to get in there and you're going to get it for dirt fucking cheap. So cool stuff. So to go from kind of nasty to really lighthearted and happy to bad, if unless, uh, as Sean earlier said, if, you've been, if you're in the nerdosphere listening to us, no doubt you've already heard, but uh, Sir Christopher Lee has died. Um, which sucks. The Hammer film, God. Uh, it, it's funny, the number of people that are reposting the whole, this is how much Christopher Lee kicks ass, so I'm not going to relive them all. <clears throat> but the dude was in, like, hundreds of films. And his, back in the day, he was, he was six foot five, fencer, well-read, uh, well intelligent dude, World War II vet, amazing man. Sucks to have lost him, but, you know, I mean, he was, what, 92, 93, so it's, you know, he had a very good run. I think, if nothing else, I would, uh, were I to live to be that long and have that life, I'd be I'd be okay with dying. So, sucks to see him go, but uh, we've got some good stuff left behind. Your turn, Sean. All right, number one, Geek and Sundry, Will Wheaton's Titan's Grave, episode one premieres. Now, he did do an episode zero, but I posted, I'll post the link to episode one. Uh, if you've watched it or if you don't know what I'm talking about, Geek and Sundry is a network on YouTube. It includes uh, a few different uh, YouTube series and Will Wheaton's best known for Tabletop, which is the game show that he runs, not the game show, but the show featuring games, uh, mostly board games. And he had a, did he have a Kickstarter for this? I don't remember. I don't remember if he did or not. I thought he did. I thought it was like, hey, we're going to do an RPG game. Maybe, 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 I don't know. But anyways, Titan's Grave, it's based off the age system. Um, so it's a role-playing game, and he's running a full-length campaign. He has people that he knows that are like actors or YouTube people that are going to be playing. So it's cool. Um, check it out. Knights of the Dinner Table, episode one premieres. Now, I did not know Jolly Blackburn, who Jolly is... Um, from Kenzer Co. Or I don't know if he's like the founding member of Kenzer Co., but he's anyways, Kenzer Co., they they're the makers of Hackmaster as well as Knights of the Dinner Table. And he actually Knights of the Dinner Table is an actual comic gaming comic strip. If you have never heard of that, most of you folks that have are listening do know that. But he kickstarted it and they have episode one of a live action um, Knights of the Dinner Table. And it's actually pretty well done. And, and it stars some of the faces you may recognize from like um, the dead gentleman who did like the gamers. And so some of those actors are in it. Okay, cool. And so it's really well done. I don't know how many episodes that Jolly, and Jolly's like the executive producer, producer, and lists all the Kickstarter people for the credits and everything. But yeah, it's well done. Definitely something to check out again on YouTube and link in the show notes. Number three, Beyond the Bundle. And so some of you may or may not know what um, the Bundle of Holding is. If you do, great. If you don't, the Bundle of Holding occurs, I don't know if it's once a month, Brad, or if it's every six weeks or what it is. 
But the bundle of whole, so the, this is beyond the. If bundle. there's a schedule to it, it's, it always catches me by surprise. Yeah. <laughs> they're they're pretty active on Google Plus, and I'm sure they, yes, they I have are. a Facebook account and everything. But the the nice thing about it is, if you have never bought this, they they release everything. They get so they network with a publisher or multiple publishers or authors of games, and they will bundle them together. And they will offer a very discounted price, and it's all digital. So, for example, if they network with Pelgrin Press, Pelgrin's products are like the gumshoe system. So they may have like uh, Ashen Stars, they'll have the Esoteris, and Mm -hmm. the Trail of Cthulhu, or whatever, or Mutant City Blues. So if you kick in like 10 bucks, you can get like the three core books of each one of those for like 10 bucks. If you up the price, if you you pitch in more and it's all whatever you want, um, then you can get like the bonus books. And I mean, literally some of these bundle of holdings are completely, I mean, and they're insane. Like I got in on the Trail of Cthulhu one. I think I got every core book. I, got, I think I got everything published that was published for Trail of Cthulhu for nice. I mean, less than less than 50 bucks. And it's all Pennies cool. on the dollar. Pennies on the dollar. So this one, the beyond the bundle, I don't know what the difference is, but it's by the same folks. And they have a noir bundle, and so they're featuring like a dirty world, kill shot, one last job, um, even Streets of Bedlam. So Streets of Bedlam, I know because Jason Blair, my buddy um, from Madison, works in the video game industry, and he also authored Little Fears. Did Streets of Bedlam, um, so that was kind of interesting to me because I kind of on the fence about noir and something interesting like a cross between I don't know investigative and. Uh, which is a really good way to get kind of grab a bunch of stuff that you may or may not have. I mean, it's it's the it's the bargain thing, right? Yeah. Wow, that's on a deal. I've been interested in that for a while. All I have to do is throw a few bucks at it, and I get more than I can read in a month. This is awesome. It's yes. a good setup. So if you want to check that out, I'll put a show to the bundle noir. Now these bundles are usually up for a limited time. So by the time this drops, I think this one goes until the twenty third, but then they put up another one. Um, and I know the bundle of holding and then you can get on their email list and they'll email you like, Hey, we got a new bundle. And now I think they're running, um, multiple at the same time. Also, another thing to add to these is that if you do the bundle, a lot of the proceeds of the bundle or the payment goes to some charity of the publisher's choice. So again, going to Pelgrim press, they are like, yeah, you know, Simon Rogers and those guys, um, they may pick to donate to world hunger whatever organization. So I don't know how much goes to that, but it, you know, that's it. They tied into that. So it's really nice. So you get something and they get something and a third party gets something I'm guessing. So yeah, check it out. Yeah. But that's, uh, that's all my, that's all the ones I have, man. Cool. So, uh, I think that's it for the episode. Yeah, the only th- the other thing I was going to say is uh, for the misdirected Mark boys, I got the uh, I got the clearance from my wife that if I want to hop a plane and head out to uh, New York for a con, I can make that happen next year. So, so that's New York, and they talked about Windsor. So we want to get so back to when Phil was talking about. Yeah, we should meet in Windsor, dude. I don't have an updated passport, so I can't even get out of the country at this point. Small yeah. de- small detail. I don't have a passport at all. Yeah, well, it's not like we can't get to Windsor because that's where the paychecks come from. So I'm sure we'll be good. Well, you still got to get a passport, dude. I know. All right. I'm trying to to feed Chris's paranoia. Fair enough. (laughs) I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night. Good game and all.